All right, good morning, Faith Church. What's going on, everybody? It's good to see you here at our Florence campus. Can we show some love for our Lawrenceburg campus? It's good to have you guys in the house. Middle Tennessee, man, thanks so much for showing up. Everybody else watching online, it's a privilege to have you, whether this is your first time or whether, again, you're just not in the building yet. Man, I just want to throw this out real quick again. I know in this last season that people have gotten acclimated to watching online, and some are just not comfortable to be back in the building. But if you're comfortable, man, I want to encourage you to come back. we got room for you. We have overflow, plenty of social distancing. Come on, can we show some love for some people who need to get back in the building? Good to have you guys. Listen, we are in week number six of a series we started talking about homework. And the whole context is we all go through storms. We go through things, challenges, difficulties in life, and if we're all honest, we handle them in different ways. And most of the time, some of the challenges that come our way can feel overwhelming. In fact, so overwhelming that it starts to compromise our home, our family. And that's what many of us have experienced in this last season of COVID. COVID has been a storm that really has attacked our homes. And when I say homes, I mean whatever it makes up your life. Your home is your family, a single mom, you got kids, grandkids, stepkids. Whatever your life consists of, a storm has come, and we've all kind of wrestled through this season. And so Jesus, who's our go-to, he really tells us how we can handle storms in a more successful way. And basically, he says this in Matthew chapter 7. This has been kind of the text we keep going back to in this series. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house... It won't collapse. Come on, we keep saying, everybody shout that, Lawrenceburg, Florence. It won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. He's saying, listen, as you go through the storms of life, he says, you choose how you're going to go through them. But if you'll choose to hear what I have to say about your life, and if you'll listen to it, if you'll apply it, he says, I'm not guaranteeing a storm-free life, but a storm-proof life that after the storm has come and gone, your life, your marriage, your home, your mental health will still be standing. And so that's what we've done through this series is we've looked at our homes. We've looked at different areas inside of our homes and tried to lean into what God's Word has to say. We talked about families in the family room. We talked about marriages in the bedroom. Last week, we talked about, again, spiritual nutrition in the, uh, in the dining room. Today, we're going to talk about the addict and mental health. Now, this is such a big topic. There's no way I can cover it all in 30 minutes but there are some things that, again, beyond what Miss Larissa had to say, with some of the real challenges that many of us face, that I want to lean into just God's word today. In fact, Jesus, he said something pretty profound. Here's what Jesus said on this topic. I want us to lean into this together. Everybody, everybody let's read this. Every voice, come on, in the house. John chapter 16, verse 33. Here's what Jesus said on this topic. He said, I've told you all this, come on, every voice, so that you may have Come on, y'all got to shout that like you want it, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to notice right out of the gate, and this is my goal today because it was the goal of Jesus for we as his people and his children that we can experience, walk in, live in, and possess peace. Come on, everybody say peace. Jesus wants you to have peace. Now, unfortunately, he also says something that probably is the reality for many of us in this room, again, many of us in Lawrenceburg, is that we don't really have peace. We have the trials and sorrows. So Jesus says, I want you to have peace. But he says, hey, man, in this world, you're going to have trials and sorrows. Miss Larissa pointed to the statistic that, again, one in five, 20% of people who are currently in, uh, struggling with anxiety, depression, those are the top two. 
What I think is really crazy as we talk about this is it's not just adults. Did you know that same statistics applies to teenagers and kids? That they're wrestling at the same rate with anxiety and depression as adults. What's really important in this to me would be a goal for if you're here and you're a parent and you're struggling or wrestling with depression or anxiety, how much you should not just want to be whole and experience peace for you but for your kids. A recent study I just read in preparation for this, uh, for this series said that if you struggle and wrestle with anxiety and depression, your children are at a 400% risk increase of struggling with depression and anxiety. And so Jesus comes along, he addresses, he says, hey, I want you to have peace. But again, we know society, one in five. But I don't think it's one in five. I go with Jesus. I don't think it's 20%. I think it's 100%. Because all of us at one time or another, we wrestle with anxiety. Come on, all of us at one time or another, we feel fear. We wrestle with the turmoil of life. I know me, if I'm just really honest, there's times I, I like to hold it together. You know, I have the privilege to lead this organization and be the pastor of this church. And it's a large church, lots of people. And I got a big family. And man, I, God's put me in the place to lead a lot of things. And so I got to lead with confidence. But I can just tell you, sometimes underneath, I'm shaking. Sometimes I make big decisions. And after I make the decision, I think, oh my God, what was I thinking? Oh, hope that works out. I'm just honest, like, you know, there, there are times I'm worrying myself to sleep. I'm anticipating something I'm getting ready to go through. You know, I know there's people who wrestle with panic attacks. I, if I'm just honest, there was a time I thought if you wrestle with panic attacks, like, you were just, you're just a sissy, like, get over it. <laughs> Until I had one. I've only had one, and that's all it took. And you've ever had a panic attack, you know exactly exactly what it feels like. I was with a group of pastor friends of mine, and we were, we were out in Kansas City, got to go watch the Kansas City Jayhawks play. We was just hanging out with some friends of mine. and So we were kind of torn around the town. We were going to different restaurants, different venues, and there was about seven of us. We were like in a big old car. And uh, like I came up as the youngest kid. When you're the youngest, you always have to sit in the middle of the back seat. Remember the back seat? Like it was the most uncomfortable. It had the big hump in the middle, no place to put your legs. Come on. You had to kiss your knees when you rode. Let's go. So once I became a grown man, listen, I'm not, listen, ain't nobody punking me in the middle seat. I will fight to not be in the middle seat. But I'm with a group of pastors. I don't want to fight my friends. So we're taking turns rotating through the car. I had enough turns in the, in the riding shotgun. It became my turn. I had to sit not in the back seat, but in the back back seat. And I'll never forget, I didn't really think I was claustrophobic until literally the very moment I get in and that back seat came collapsing down and pressed me in. And I can only tell you in that moment, I experienced a real panic. Like I couldn't breathe. I wanted to kick the person in front of me in the back of the head to get out of the car. Like it was just, and it passed in about 30 seconds, but I'll never forget that moment of panic. And so whether it's moments or seasons, come on, all of us in this room, we have been overwhelmed with worry. We've been attacked by anxiety. Come on, we've drowned in depression. All of us in this room, it's 100%. But here, and that's what goes right along with what Jesus said, that you will have in this world, you will have trials and sorrows. So here's my question. Jesus says, hey, I want you to have peace, but in this world, you're going to have trials and sorrows. So which is it? Are we going to have peace or are we going to have trials and sorrows? And what I want you to hear today is it's not, it's not trials and sorrows or peace. It's not either or. What Jesus says we will experience is both. Yeah. You say, well, how can that be? Like, can, am I supposed to have peace or am I supposed to have trials and sorrows? 
And I think the difference between the two is this, if you're taking notes, this is huge. Trials and sorrows is what goes through you, but peace is what you go through, but peace is what goes through you. Trials and sorrows is what you go through, but peace is what goes through you. The difference is I might be in this world, but I don't want this world in me. Come on, I got Jesus in me, and he's the prince of peace, which means I can have peace no matter what I'm going through. Come on, I might have sorrows, but sorrows don't have me. It's the difference of what makes a boat float. You know what makes a boat float? The reason a boat can float on water is what the boat is in isn't in the boat. As soon as what the boat is in gets in the boat, the boat will sink. I came up in a, had some family, uh, some family members who lived out in the country, had a large piece of property, large farm, and they had a, a pond out front, and we would go out there a couple times of the year and, you know, ride four-wheelers and, you know, just hang out and have a good time. Well, out in this pond, they had um, a paddle boat. Y'all know what paddle boats are? They're like a jet ski, but only slower. Very similar. And you get out on the paddle boat, and once you get off, like paddle boats look fun until you're on it, and then you realize you got suckered into a workout. Like you got to work to make a paddle boat go. And you're always fighting with your partner move, go, row. Like, you know, I'm going, you go. And like you got to crank, man, to get that thing to move. Well, my brother and I were out on the paddle boat, and we're rolling around, trolling this little pond out in front. And we're trying to get to the shore. And as we start getting to the shore, the closer we get to the shore, the closer we get to the bottom of this pond because our our little paddle boat is starting to sink. And what we found out is we had to get out and drag that thing to shore is like the little plug had come out and water had started to get inside the paddle boat. Again, once what you're in starts getting on the inside of you, you will sink. So what I'm trying to tell you is, listen, you can be in conflicts, but conflicts don't have to be in you. You can be in stressful situations, but stressful situations don't have to be in you. It's the difference of, I'm just saying like we live in a world full of chaos and trouble and issues and challenges and sorrows, but Jesus said, while you might be in it, I'm in you. That's how you can have peace and sorrows. But God says, I want peace to be in you. Come on, everybody say peace. I just want you to know this, that if you are struggling with depression or anxiety, I'm not saying it's an easy fix. There are challenges. Sometimes it's a journey. Sometimes you have to invite professionals in that journey for you to get to the place that God has for you. But my my challenge today is whether it's a season, whether it's an episode, whether it's a challenge, I want you to have today the confidence you don't have to stay in anxiety. You don't have to stay in depression. Jesus wants you to have peace. And he wants peace to have you. Come on, somebody. So before uh, before we can really have peace from God, it's, it's important we understand we have to have peace with God. And we talk about having peace with God. That's kind of a, a pretty common nomenclature. It's the way still some people talk today. You know, they have this mindset as they're getting close to the end of life, they're on their deathbed, or they know somebody that's getting ready to die. And we use this terminology like, well, did they make their peace with God? And it's this idea like, you, you know, you're getting ready to die. You better, you know, you better get right. And I just want you to know that that way of thinking is not really biblical. We, we, don't, we don't get right with God that way. Jesus did everything that he needed to do for us so we could have peace with God. I want you to hear what Paul said. Some of you need to hear this. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. God. Come on, somebody. We, I have, through Jesus, I have, you have, if you put your faith in Jesus, we have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you. What he's saying is this, is because of our sin, we are separated from a holy God. There's nothing we can do to bridge that gap. There's nothing we could do to be good enough, to be righteous enough, to read our Bible enough, to go to church enough, to give enough, to do enough good deeds. There's nothing we could do in our own strength to cross the chasm of sin. But Jesus came out of heaven, stepped onto earth, stepped up on a cross, came out of a tomb so we could find life and joy in a connection with our heavenly father. And when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a child of God forever, and you have peace with God. Come on, that means he ain't mad at you no more. That means he's not upset at you. He is our heavenly father, and he loves us. We have peace with God because of Jesus. But now, once you have peace with God, then you can start to experience peace from God. That's that's huge. That's huge. Just coming into a relationship with God, and it may not always feel this way, but Did you know God's always working in you? God's always working in you. God's always working in our circumstances. Paul said God is working all things together for good. And as God is working around us, God is much more actively working in us. I am who I am now in Jesus, not because of things I've done, but because of things God's done in me. God is working stuff in me and working stuff out of me. Come on, working stuff through me. Is anybody thankful for that? God's working on us. The Bible says we're his handiwork. And as he's working on us, one of the things that he's working in and through our lives is he's working peace. And I want you just to hear one of the things that, that uh, Paul says. This is such a, such a cool verse. It sounds very churchy. It's in the Bible, but I want you just, I'm going to help you to hear this. He says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Now just stop. Don't you love the way Paul says, he talks about God, that he's the God of peace. Did you know, like, there are doctors, and then there are doctors that are specialists? Like, there are ear, nose, and throat doctors, and there's foot doctors, and heart doctors, and lung doctors, and cardiovascular doctors. and Like, depending on what your affliction is, you just don't go to a doctor. You go to a specialist, and that specialist specializes in your sickness. Did you know part of who God is that he's not just God, but did you know he's God our healer, God our provision, God our strength? And one of the things he reveals himself is, is he's the God our peace, which means if you're struggling without peace, he specializes in giving peace. He's the God of peace. Now may, this is who he is, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. Now, I don't know what you think the word holy means. For a long time, I thought the word holy meant like, like I would just picture it as like a nun floating on air with a big cross, like never making any mistakes. Like y'all know, anybody remember Blues Brothers? Seen Blues Brothers, you know what I'm talking about. You know what Blues Brothers is, don't watch it now. I, your pastor did not tell you to watch Blues Brothers, unless you want to laugh. But regardless... <laughs> I digress. <laughs> but like this picture of holy is like you're like, oh, I love the Lord. Like in just every like life. And that's not what holy holiness, holiness really has two meanings. Now listen, we're talking about the God of peace. This is what God wants to do in you and do for you. He wants to make you holy. Part of it is morality. That when you come into a relationship with Christ, you start to understand morality in a new way. Before I came to Jesus, a lot of the lifestyle that I lived that I thought was cool and it was wonderful and it was everything everybody would ever want, once I came into a relationship with Christ, I realized that stuff was not right, it was not good, it was not helpful, and was dishonoring to my creator. 
However, there's some stuff that I wasn't doing that I realized God wanted me to do. So when you come into a relationship with Christ, part of him making you holy is making you first right with him, is second making you right trying to figure out the morality, morality of living and learning what is right and pleasing, the difference between good and evil. If you're taking notes though, but being made holy isn't just about our moralization, it's about our restoration, which means that there were things that we had when God first created us, life was perfect. Our relationship with God was perfect. Our relationship with each other was perfect. Let me tell you, Adam and Eve didn't suffer with depression. They didn't suffer with anxiety. They didn't have bipolar disease. They didn't have any of those things. Everything was perfect. But because sin came, our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with each other was broken. Sickness and disease came in this world. And the reason Jesus came was to capture back for us everything we lost in paradise. Paradise lost in Genesis. Paradise restored in Revelation. That's what this journey is that we're on. Are you off track with me? So watch this, what he says. I want you to go back to this first. Go back, please, First Thessalonians. He says this. He says, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body. Everybody say that. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes back. What Jesus is working on in us is making us holy, making us whole, making us complete in our spirit. Did you know that we are a triune being? We're a three-part creation. We are three components together. We are spirit, soul, and body reflecting the image of our creator, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Our spirit is who we are. We are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. Our spirit was dead because of sin, Paul says. And when you come to Jesus, you've heard the term being born again. Jesus used it in John chapter 3. Your spirit comes alive again. We have been made whole in our spirit. One day in the future, come on, this body that's breaking down, I know if you're all young and like buff and tight, like you're like, I look good, it's, it's all dropping, baby, just give it time. Gravity will have its way with you. Listen, you can fight it with Botox, you can fight it with nips and tucks, but fight as you may. Father time will catch up with you. Come on, can I get all the 40 pluses to say amen? Let's go. Listen, and all the stuff you're tightening and toning now, sag, the abs just keep getting further back. Gray comes, crow's feet show up. It just is what it is. This body is currently decaying. Every one of us in this room, everyone in Lawrenceburg, everybody watching online, you are dying more and more every single second. But God's word promises there is a day in the future that he's going to give us a brand new body, a resurrected body that doesn't age, no more sickness, no more disease. So here's my point. Listen, listen, listen. The God of peace is working in us. So he's restored our spirit. He will restore our body. We're in process right now. God is doing his part, the God of peace, to give us, to make us whole in our soul, to make us whole in our soul. What does that mean? Our soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, which means the peace that we lost in paradise, God is in the process right now of trying to restore it to you in this moment. He wants you to get your mind right, and he's going to do for you what you can never do for yourself, and that's give you peace. Come on, somebody. Can we give God some praise? Because we believe he can do that. So now watch this. So that's what Jesus is up to, right? I mean, he's doing his part to promote peace. Here's what I want to talk about really for, for this back part of this message is I want to talk about your part. While God is going to do his part to promote peace to us, we have to do our part to pursue peace. Peace is not automatic, Anxiety is automatic. Did you know you don't have to do anything to get anxious? Like it just shows up. 
You don't have to want to be depressed. You don't have to hope to get depressed. Like, you don't have to. Do, it'll just show up. Like an unwanted family member just show up knocking on your door. Can I stay here? It just shows up. But do you know that if you want peace, you got to pursue peace, you got to chase peace, you got to go after Peace doesn't come automatically. You have to go after peace. We have to pursue peace if we're going to have it. Jesus said, I've come, I've done everything, I've taught everything I've taught, so you might have peace. Well, how do we have peace? The way we have peace is, I want to teach you this principle. Did you know photographers, one of the things they do when they take a picture, they just don't point and shoot. There's actually a science in an art to taking good pictures. Like, it's the difference. I don't know anybody else, but like, I take a picture, it just never, it doesn't look right. When someone says, hey, anybody take a picture, like, I won't take it because I'll mess your pictures up. My thumb's going to be in it. Nobody's looking right. But somebody that knows how to take pictures, the reason, one of the reasons they're good at photography is one of the principles of photography is framing. What framing is, framing takes the surroundings and pushes everything out it doesn't want in and makes sure it gives the viewer the proper focus. So when you look inside of the picture, you want what's in the picture to be the thing the viewer's looking at. All this other stuff don't matter. You don't get to see none of this other stuff. We want to make sure that you have a proper focus. We want to make sure that your picture is framed. Let me give you an example of it because people of businesses, we do this all the time, right? There's a lot of places that try to get your business. What they do is they try to frame their business the thing they do right, the thing they do well. They don't want you to see all the stuff they do bad. They try to frame their business to give you, the viewer, the best picture of who they are. Several years ago, my wife and I, um, it was our anniversary, and because I am romantic, I decided to plot a getaway she didn't know and was looking for some places to go. We decided to go up to Niagara Falls. And uh, so I'm looking to book our room at Niagara Falls and uh, like looking, trying to decide, do we want to go to the Canadian side, the American side? And if you've never been to the falls, man, it is it's stunning. It's loud. It's beautiful. It's, it's huge. It's just really, really a beautiful place. And I thought there's no better place for me to celebrate my uh, relationship <laughs> Been a beautiful place like the falls. And so I got on and trying to find the right room, and I'm going through, uh, going through all these different rooms, and I found the spot. I'm scrolling through, and they had pictures of the hotel room, and they had pictures of when you looked out your hotel room, you had these beautiful scenic views. They framed out the Niagara Falls. And I thought, man, if I can get in a room like that with my bride, and it wasn't just right, the framing. There was a, there was a heart-shaped jacuzzi. In the, listen, you just know you're rolling high class when there's a heart-shaped jacuzzi and some bubblegum champagne in the room. Let me just tell you that right now. I roll big and I roll deep. And so, so I can't wait to get up there because it's this beautiful view looking out this window. There's Niagara Falls, and we get up there, and I pull back the curtains, and I'm not looking at Niagara Falls. I'm looking at a big building right in front of the view. What they had done was if you wanted to see Niagara Falls, you had to push your face against the glass, and you could see it. Look, baby, it's Niagara Falls. And you could see it between the building. What they had done was the, the building had always been there, but the photographer framed Niagara Falls so it cut the building out, and it just, saw, just showed the viewer what they wanted you to see. What I'm trying to tell you is we do this all the time here at Faith Church. You may not know this. We have photographers that walk around and take pictures of everything, and then we post them on social media. 
and they intentionally frame the shot, which means if we want the viewer to get a look at us as worshipers, we'll take a picture of five or six people, got their hands up, smiling, clapping, celebrating, and we will frame just that, and it'll look like we were having a Pentecostal revival. Because if we get some of you other people in there, we'll look like a church of Christ saying, they got music in there. So we cut some of you out, and we just focus on the... Did I say that out loud? I'm just kidding. A smart photographer, if you ever look, if you ever look, right now we're in the COVID, a lot of people ain't coming to the building, so a lot of people are staying home, so our buildings are halfway empty all the time. It's okay. We're going to get back. But it doesn't matter what's in the building. Our photographers will frame a picture of the right road, the right road. And this place looks like it's packed out. Why? It's because what a photographer does is frame the picture to give the viewer the right perspective. Did you know that God's word teaches us if we want a new focus in life, we have to frame our life, which means you got to choose what you're going to focus on. You have to choose what you're going to look at. I'm not saying all this other stuff isn't real. I'm not saying all this other stuff isn't there, but you have to make a choice of what you're going to focus on, what you're going to frame your life around, what you're going to see. So peace, everybody shout peace. Peace is found in framing God's past and God's promises in the picture of your life. What you want to look at in life, I'm telling you, the anxieties there and the issues are there and the relational conflicts there and the, the money troubles are there. It's not that that stuff's not there, but if you choose to look at that and frame your life looking at all those things, then you're going to walk around in trials and sorrows. You're going to be underwater. You're going to be attacked by anxiety. You're going to constantly deal with depression. You're going to be overwhelmed with worry, but if you will frame your life around God's past and God's promises, you'll find peace. You say, what do you mean by God's past? Did you know one of the most common commands in all of Scripture? And it doesn't even sound like a command. You read it and you can just blow right by it. God commands us as his people to remember over and over and over and over and over and over, God commands us to remember. To remember what God is telling us to do, to remember, not that we don't understand this, but God is saying, I intentionally want you to put this in your mind. Don't let it slip away. Don't stop focusing on To intentionally put this in the forefront of your attention, I want you to remember. One of the places that the word remember is used often is in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, Moses, who God used in a really profound way, is giving the nation of Israel instructions on their way to the promised land. If you don't know the story, Israelites had been slaves for 400 years in Egypt, crying out to God, God, when are you going to show up? When are you going to come through? God finally sent Moses through a profound display of power. Ten plagues came on Egypt. Finally, Pharaoh said, man, just get these people up out of my nation. They came out of Egypt, but God didn't just bring them out of Egypt. God wanted to take them into their own land, the promised land. And here's what God said. God said, the land I'm getting ready to give to you, it's full of big armies, giant people, tall walls. And if you get there and you focus, if you frame your life around how big their walls are, how large their armies are, how many chariots they have, how strong their horse are, you're going to go out in fear and anxiety. He says, I don't want you to focus on how big they are. I want you to focus on how big I am. I want you to remember. Listen to one of the things that God tells the nation of Israel. Listen to this, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 18 and verse 19. He says, but don't be afraid of them. 
Just, what's it say? Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. Remember the great terrors the Lord your God sent against them. You saw it with your own eyes. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders in the strong hand and the powerful arm with which he brought you out of Egypt. He said, every time you start getting anxious and you start framing your life around how big they are, how great they are, how many they are, he says, I want you to fix your frame somewhere else. I want you to remember everything I did. I want you to remember the miracles in Egypt. I want you to remember I delivered you from your foe. I want you to remember I made a way. I want you to remember I opened the sea and you crossed on dry land. I want you to remember it swallowed up the Egyptians when they tried to pursue you. I want you to remember how I provided for you in the wilderness. I don't want you to think about who they are. I want you to remember who I am. Come on, everybody say remember. What I'm telling you is that we find mental health through the process of mental wealth. Let me, let me, come on, some of you in this room, you have a whole head full of the memories of God moving in your life. You have a wealth of memories of God showing up, of God providing, of God being faithful. Come on, anybody here got a story that you could tell how God saved you, how God delivered you? Can we just have 30 seconds? Come on, Lawrenceburg. Somebody make some noise about the God we serve. Come on, God's delivered some of you, rescued some of you. He came through when you didn't think anybody was going to come through. He showed up when everybody else ran out. Come on, can we make some noise? For a God who's been faithful. If you're taking notes, we overcome today's anxieties by remembering yesterday's victories. When I focus on what happened yesterday, what God did for me in my past, how God's been faithful in my past. Now listen, if, you, if you've never had any struggles, this won't help you. If life's always been perfect and this always been a bowl of strawberries and you've never had any conflicts and every, nothing's ever challenged, this won't help you. But if you face challenges and difficulties and you can say God showed up and God came through, then you have mental wealth. You have memories of God's faithfulness in your life that you can turn to in seasons of anxiety and depression and worry. I'm going to overcome today's anxieties by yesterday's victories. I'm going to keep in my frame of reference how faithful God's been in my past. Not just God's past, but again, framing in the context of God's promises. Not just what he has done, but what he's promised to do. This whole section of scripture that we've looked at through this series, Jesus again talking, ending up his conversation, ending his sermon on the mount with building our lives on his teaching. Again, part of the thing he discusses in that long sermon, out of all the things, divorce, relationships, he talks about anxiety and worry. He tells us one of the ways that we can handle the anxieties and the worries of this life. In Matthew chapter 6, here's specifically what Jesus says. Come on, Lawrenceburg, I want you to see this, everybody. He says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And he says this, aren't you far more valuable than they are? Now, some of you may not be sure the answer to that question that Jesus posed. Jesus says, hey, when you look at life and you're worried, am I going to get through? Like my bills aren't paid and I got laid off and I don't have a job and the benefits are running out and I'm not sure if there's going to be a second round of stimulus. Like, how am I going to keep my house? How am I going to stay in my apartment? Like, how do I get out? How do I get through this? Like, a lot of us are wrestling with anxiety. Jesus says, 
when you feel the weight of the world coming on your shoulders, you have to make a decision to frame the perspective on his promises. And his promise is this. Hey, the birds, they're not worried. Like, they're just taken care of. And he makes this statement. He says, he says, your heavenly father takes care of them. Aren't you more valuable than a bird? Now, for all the PETA people, and I say this truly, we live in a world right now that there is a blurred line between humanity and the rest of creation. While I think certainly by all means, bugs and every animal of every moving kind deserve respect, we are not equal to animals. Humans have the sole privilege to be made in the image of our creator. Baby whales, important. All the animals that are endangered, important. But we alone are made in the image of our creator. And Jesus, God's son, did not come to this world to rescue birds or deer or whales. He came and laid down his life for people. So with that in mind, Jesus says, if your heavenly father takes care of birds, won't he take care of you too? And it's a rhetorical question. Because if you understand who you are and how he sees you, then the answer to the rhetorical question is, won't your heavenly father take care of you too? The answer is yes. Which means there will be seasons it doesn't feel like he's taking care of you, but the promise is he will take care of you. So don't worry when it's not happening in the moment. Don't be overwhelmed with worry. Don't be attacked by anxiety and don't drown in depression in the moment when it looks like it's not changing. It looks like you won't get through. It looks like the bill won't get paid. It looks like your kid won't get off his addiction. When it looks like your breakthrough won't show up, he says, instead of focusing and framing your life on worry in the situation, frame it on God's promises. If the birds are taken care of, then your heavenly father is going to take care of you too. And the key phrase is not the birds. The key phrase is heavenly father. Come on. Do you know why? Because God isn't just a God up there somewhere. God has specifically made it known to us. The way he sees us is we are his kids and he is our heavenly father. Only parents will get this. Come on, you know, parents, do you know what you'll do for your kids? Parents will do anything for their kids. How many people have ever had their kid come to them? It's like 1142 at night. They've already been in bed for an hour and they woke up and they're coming like, mom, I forgot to tell you, I got a project due tomorrow. And we don't say, listen, chump, you get an F, go back to bed. We're like, what? And we go to Walmart, and we'll run around looking for poster, bo- poster board and popsicle sticks and glue. Come on, everybody's done it. And we send our kid to bed, and we stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning doing their school projects so they get an A. Come on, ain't nobody going to help me out. Everybody's... <laughs> listen, you ain't fooling nobody. Teacher knows, you didn't... Teacher knows your kid doing that. Your kid can't add 2 plus 2. They didn't do that project. We do crazy stuff for our kids. We, we sacrifice and go without so they can have. We do all kinds. Why? Because they're our kids and we love them. They drive us crazy. Sometimes we want to beat them, but we can't because someone will turn us into social services. But we will do anything for them. Come on, somebody. Why? Because there are, we are their parents and they're our kids. And God said, I don't just see you as servants. I see you as sons. And because I see you as my sons, I'll do anything for you. I want you to know that I'm your heavenly father in the same way you love your kids and will take care of your kids. I love you and will take care of you as my kids. And if I take care of birds, I'll take care of my kids. So stop worrying about today and frame your life around my promises. Come on, somebody. 
So peace is not pretending you don't have problems. It's not ignoring all this stuff out here. It's not saying this stuff's not real. Peace is not pretending you don't have problems. It's remembering that Jesus promised the solution. And I'm going to choose to focus, fix my focus on his solution and not give my attention to my problem. If you want to find peace, you have to choose to frame your life. What are you looking at in this season? And I can tell you what you're looking at based on probably how you feel. Paul teaches this idea of framing the same way as I close. Philippians chapter 4, listen to this. He says, don't worry about anything. Similar language, it's the same thing Jesus said. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he does. Did you, did you hear, hear right there? He says, I want you to pray. We pray based on promises. We ask God for things based on the promises he's made. That's looking at what he's going to do. And thank him for what he's already done. That's his past. It's his past and it's his promises. And if we'll frame our life that way, listen to what he says. If you'll do this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Frame your life on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And he says, if you'll keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. If you'll choose to pursue peace, if you'll choose to frame your life with a new focus, God says, peace you're going to pursue peace, all of a sudden it'll turn around. Peace will start pursuing you. How many people in this room, how many people in Lawrenceburg watching online will say, I, I need peace in my life? Come on. I need peace in my life. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus. And I declare your word for those that are wrestling and overwhelmed and overcome with anxiety, worry, and fear. I pray in Jesus' name, God, right now that peace, peace would show up. I pray anxiety and fear and worry would just be driven out right here in this moment. And I pray, God, you will help us to walk out of this room, walk out of Lawrenceburg, walk out, turn off the computer, and begin to pursue peace in the way we frame our life. I said this earlier that we, before we can ever receive peace from God, we have to have peace with God. We've got to make sure our relationship with God is where it needs to be. If you're here, you're in Lawrenceburg, you're watching online, you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never put your trust in him as your Savior. That's what makes us right with God. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, be my Savior. I put my hope in you. I trust you to forgive me. And if you'll do that, he'll meet you where you are. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll make you his child, and you can have peace with God. And so I'm going to lead in a simple prayer. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never turned it all over to him, we need a Savior because we can't save ourselves. And Jesus is the only one who showed up to rescue you. And so as I lead in this prayer, you can pray after me. You can pray with your own words. But if you'll call out on him, he'll answer. Say, Jesus, I come to you now as a sinner. I ask you to save me. I put all of my hope in you. You came and you died for me. And you rose from the dead so I can have life. Thanks for saving me. Help me from this day forward to follow you. In Jesus' name, 
And everybody who agrees said amen.